Thank you for joining me this morning. Would you please open up in your Bibles to John chapter 17? We're going to be in verses 24 through 26. I'm going to go ahead and read them as we start off, and then we'll pray. Jesus said in John 17, beginning in verse 24, he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me, and I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, we just come before your throne of grace. We thank you for these words, Lord, many of which haven't even entered into our understanding. We read over them, and yet they're so precious and so full, and I pray that as we are hovering in your word together, that your spirit would illuminate um, these precious truths that your son prayed on our behalf, and that we would walk away blessed and that we would walk away more enthralled with you, yeah, more worshipful, more thankful, more anticipating everything that you have for us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would follow you with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strengths, and that you would be glorified in us. And one day that's soon coming, we will be gathered around your throne feasting upon your goodness, looking and declaring with each other how glorious you are. And so, Lord, until that day, um, we just pray that our joy would be full and that your will would be done in our hearts and through this church. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen. In John 17, Jesus records his prayer right before he's crucified. Basically, it's just hours away. Jesus spent the last couple of years with his disciples, loving them, teaching them, revealing the Father to them, protecting them. And in just a few hours from John 17, Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas. And he's going to be, uh, have a mock trial go on, and then he will be crucified uh, within the day. And so... At that point, obviously, as Jesus is, is going to be betrayed, his disciples would scatter. And so Jesus is praying for them as they would be facing everything in just a short amount of time. And over the past few weeks, we've, we've kind of slowed down over John 17 and have kind of looked at what Jesus specifically has been praying for, because he's not only praying for the disciples, but he's praying for us as well. In, in verse 11, we saw as Jesus prayed to the Father for his disciples, those 11 who were there, he prayed that they would be kept in his name, that they would be unified together. In verse 13, that they would have uh, Jesus's joy fulfilled in them as they were unified with one another and in harmony with God. In verses 14 and 15 of John 17, Jesus prayed that as they were sent into the world, that they'd be kept from the evil one, from Satan, uh, that they'd be kept from falling. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus prays that they would be sanctified in truth, set apart in the truth uh, for the purposes of God. And we read in verses 18 and 19 that as they were sent in the world, they would remain sanctified. And so Jesus sends 
them into the world, being sanctified in truth to influence that world for his kingdom, to declare him. And so Jesus prayed for his 11 disciples. We saw that in the first chunk there in chapter 17. But then in verses 20 through 23, Jesus prays for future disciples, future believers who would believe because of the disciples' testimony, that they too would be one, that we would have unity just as the Father and the Son are unified, and that through that unity, the world would know that the Father sent the Son. And so in John 17 so far, Jesus has interceded for his disciples, both past and future for us to remain in this world and yet not of it. And so today we pick up here in verse 24, where Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Up until this point, uh, if you've noticed so far, Jesus has been praying uh, for believers about what they would experience while living on this earth, while they're in the world but not of it, uh, that we would be kept uh, unified in, in the Lord, that we'd be kept in His name, we'd be protected from the evil one, that we would have joy in the Lord, that uh, we would be sanctified in truth and set apart, that we'd be a, a refining influence upon this world, that we would preach Christ not only through our words but through our love for one another and so forth. And all these prayers have been lifted up to the Father, by the Lord Jesus, on behalf of believers, both past and present. And the focus of that prayer is what we are experiencing here as believers on the earth. But now in verse 24, Jesus shifts it a little bit because he is continuing to pray for his disciples, his 11 who remain there, and for us by way of them. And his focus now is taken off of their trials and tribulations on the earth, and he starts to go heavenward, what their future in heaven is like. And Jesus begins by asking for those who believe upon the Son, that those who are his, the ones that the Father has given the Son, that they would be with him where he is. And so Jesus is obviously speaking about eternity. He's speaking about heaven, that we would be with him where he is, seated at the right hand of the Father in eternity. You know, when it's all been said and done, if you're listening right now, you have one of two destinations that you will be assigned on Judgment Day. And it all comes down to one of those two destinations. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man once to die, we're all going to die, and then comes judgment. In Peter, the Apostle Peter, says about that judgment in 1 Peter 4, 5, he says that people will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That we will give an account to God who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so there's a day when you and I and every single person on this earth will give an account before our Creator. In Matthew 25 speaks of this. And Jesus, in Matthew 25, uses a picture of those two groups uh, where the whole world will be divided into two groups, the sheep and the goats, the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And these are idioms, these are pictures for the righteous and the unrighteous. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 34 to the sheep, or 25, 34, uh, he says, "'Come, you who are blessed by my Father,' 
take your inheritance for the kingdom prepared for you since, uh, uh, sorry, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And so to the sheep on his right, Jesus says that come, come here, come to me, come you who are blessed by my father. And here's your inheritance prepared for you before the foundation of the world. So there's one group who are called to come to God and who are blessed. And then in verse 41, Jesus says to the goats, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so there's the other group, the goats, who are the unrighteous, who are told not to come and be blessed, but they're to depart, you who are cursed. And they are going to depart into eternal fire, separation from God. And so all of eternity, all of mankind is headed towards that moment of judgment where either you will be judged Righteous or unrighteous, a sheep or a goat, go into eternal life with God or an eternal fire uh, in hell. And those are the two places where mankind is headed, one of the other. And this is why we preach Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, that goats would become sheep, that lost would become found, that the dead would come alive, that sinners would become, be forgiven, that Jesus Christ would save sinners of whom I've been a horrible sinner and Christ has saved me. And so this is why we preach Jesus Christ, the only way, the only way to the Father, uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And that we pray that if you're listening right now, that you would believe upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe that God sent him to die for your sins, that he rose again on the third day, that you too would be justified and in through faith in Christ, you'd be born again, receive his forgiveness, become a son or daughter of God by grace through faith. All the work of God given to you freely in Christ Jesus as you believe upon him. And you on that day will hear that day of judgment. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance of the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And so Jesus is praying here at the end of, of, of John 17, for all believers in this anticipation that they would be with him where he is. They'd be with him in the very presence of God, in the very throne room of God, not separated from him for all eternity in hell. Church, when we die, this is our destination. Heaven isn't so much a place as it is a person. It's not so much that we get to go to this place, but it's about Him. We get to see God. We will be with God. We will see the Creator face to face. That's glorious. So heaven is not so much a destination as it is the focus of the person who dwells there, God Himself. And Jesus prays here that we who believe in Him would be with him where he is. And, and there's a reason for that. He wants us to be with him for a reason. And the reason's in the second half of verse 24, where Jesus says, I want them to be with me, Father, so they, where I am, so they, to see my glory. To see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. That's what Jesus said. That's the reason why he wants us to be with him. He wants us to see his eternal, unveiled glory. The glory that was given to him by the Father in love. 
And we're going to see the Father's love displayed in the full glory, the unveiled glory of Christ on that day, church. It's going to be awesome. It will be an unending display of his glory, an unending display of his glory, and we're going to bask in the radiance of his glory for eternity, and we will never get tired of it. It is going to go on forever. It is going to radiate. The light will radiate around us, and we will be in the kingdom of light where those who have rejected Christ will be, sadly, in the kingdom of darkness, in outer darkness, in hell. And so that's the big picture that we would, that Jesus is praying here, Father, I want them to be where I am. I can't wait for that day so they will see my glory, the glory that you've given me before the world existed because you loved me. He wants to share that with us, church. You know, God's glory as human beings, we're hidden from it right now. We see glimpses of his glory in creation, but in its truest sense, God's ultimate glory is, is hidden from us because if we actually saw God's glory, we would, we would we'd die, we'd, we'd be eviscerated because of his holiness. And so when we, when we see Jesus' desire here for us to see his glory, uh, it is to see him in, his, in eternity, and we really can't comprehend that from our perspective here. It's something you, we can't really wrap our minds around. We don't have a point of reference as natural men and women in this world. We don't, we don't get it. But the Bible does give us some insight, the supernatural uh, illumination, the inspiration uh, by the Spirit gives us some insight into what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, I want them to see my glory. What does that mean? What does that look like? What's Jesus talking about? There's a few descriptions in Scripture, but I first want to say um, that there is a sense in which Jesus has already um, revealed to us the glory of God. Um, but it isn't the unveiled glory of God, seeing God as he is. It's a veiled glory glory, in that Jesus Christ was veiled in human flesh. It isn't his unveiled eternal glory. We know this because John uh, chapter 1, verse 14 through 18, which we read a long time ago as we started our gospel of John, um, says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so John is saying there that we saw, we've seen his glory, but not his full glory. We've seen the glory of God manifested in the son. And so in that sense, we have seen the revealed glory of God, but there is an unveiled glory, a radiant manifest glory that, that the Bible gives us glimpses of the glory of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament Let's just start in the Old Testament just for a minute as we focus on what the glory of God looks like here that Jesus is praying about. It's interesting that as Moses was conversing with God on Mount Sinai, if you remember, he says, Lord, uh, God, we, if, if we're not going to go unless you go with us, unless your presence is with us. And, and the Lord says, I'll do that for you. I'll be with you. And then Moses just turns right around in verse 19 or verse 18 of Exodus 33 and says, Lord, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. This is what Moses desires of God. I want to see you face to face. This is what he desired. 
And the Lord answers Moses. He says in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And so God describes his glory as all his goodness and it's wrapped up in his name. And, and he says if, to Moses, you can't see my full glory because if you saw my full glory, you can't live. Flesh cannot survive this. It is beyond our capacity as human beings to see God in all his glory in our sinful, fallen state. Moses could not see the glory of God. And so we know as we go on to chapter 34, what happens is uh, God hides Moses behind a cleft of a rock and he says, Moses, what's going to happen is I'm going to pass by you. And I'm gonna, as I pass by, I'm going to put my hand in front of your face basically uh, so you can't see my very presence, but then I'll take it away. And what you're going to see is the afterglow, kind of like my hand's going across the camera right here. You can see a trail of my hand. And that's exactly what Moses was looking at. He was looking at the trail of God's glory. And it was so impacting to Moses that he had to put a veil on when he went back down the mountain because his own face was shining because of the glory of God. What a beautiful picture of the glory of God, God's goodness. His very name is wrapped up in his glory. Isaiah chapter 6 is another example we have from the Old Testament of the glory of God, and many of us know it well. I'm going to read it for us, beginning in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. These are special angels. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And so Isaiah, in a vision, sees God in his very throne room. The train of his robe fills the temple. Just a picture of his radiant glory filling the temple. Angels are crying out, holy, 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 we know from Ezekiel and Revelation and other places that thunder and lightning and rainbows and all these things are going on in the throne room of God. It is just awe-inspiring as the glory of God is radiating from, the, from His very being. And so verse 4 continues on. It says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And so here Isaiah in the presence of God, verse 5, here's his reaction as he sees the glory of God. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm undone, some of your translations say, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so this is Moses' reaction, uh, this is Isaiah's reaction to seeing the holy God, the glory of God is that he was undone. He realized how good he, that God was and how ungood, so to speak, he was, how fallen he was, and, and the people he was around and associated with were all unclean. Everybody was unclean, and he was undone and fell as though dead at his feet, and God graciously raised him up and then sent him. And so we have this picture of God's glory. 
and Moses and uh, Isaiah's reaction in it. You know, God's glory has been manifested at times. But here in John 17, we see the Son asking that we would see His glory. That we would see His glory. Well, what's, what's the difference? What's the difference between the glory of God and the glory of, son, of the Son? If you remember back in, in verse 4 of John 17, you can look in your Bibles back there, Jesus prayed to the Father. Well, actually in verse 5, He said, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, glorify me now with the glory that you gave with me, that I had with you before the world existed. And so this glory that Jesus desired that we would see is the glory that he had, he shared with the Father before the world existed. It's an eternal glory that is God's alone. Hebrews 1.3 says of Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So to look upon the Son's glory is to look upon the Father's glory. To see the Son in all his glory is to see God's glory, to see the glory of God. There is no difference. In the New Testament, we, it, it it gives us glimpses into the glory of the Son. And we see instances where we see His glory revealed. We get glimpses of this. Like on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that when Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up to the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them supernaturally. Uh, we read these accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to read just real quickly out of Matthew's account for you. Matthew 17 which says, beginning in verse 1, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Verse 2, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Mark's account, which was probably Peter's account here, says his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Uh, Luke's gospel says, and he was, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And so there's this radiance that emanated from the person of Jesus. He was changed, and they saw it in his clothes and his face. Everything about him became incredibly white, like a blazing sun. Matthew's account continues, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. See, Peter was putting them all three on the same pedestal because those were the giants of the faith. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets there. And he had Jesus. As verse 5 says, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came, underline this, remember this, but Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. Just like Isaiah and just like we'll read in Revelation 
And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You see how the glory of the Father and the Son is shared there. So Peter, James, and John, they saw the glory of God. And if you read in 1 Peter, he, he, he writes about this. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 17, or sorry, in 2 Peter chapter 1, 16, 17, he said of this account, we were eyewitnesses of this majesty, of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him uh, by the majestic glory, this is, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, from, from, uh, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's just saying, we testified, we saw this, we saw his glory. You know, Paul gives us a few accounts. I'm just making my way through the New Testament about the revealed glory of God here. Paul gives us a few different accounts. In Acts, we know about is a conversion. In Acts 9, uh, Luke records for us where he says in Acts 9, verses 3 and 4, he says, Now as he went on his way, that is Paul, in, towards Damascus, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, and so there's this light from heaven. Paul himself starts to tell that story as you get later on in Acts 22. Paul's being arrested there in Jerusalem, and he starts to address the crowd. And he says there in, 20, in Acts 22, 6, he says, I was, I was on my way, I drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So again, a great light from heaven. So there's radiant light, and it causes him to fall down. Acts 26, 13, Paul describes it again before King Agrippa. And he says, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And so he keeps repeating this light that is associated with the glory of God, a, 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 a light that's brighter than the sun. But one of the most astounding pictures of the glory of God we have is in Revelation chapter 1 given to us by, the, by John the Apostle, starting in verse 12, where John says, And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, so glowing, and his voice was like the roar of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And so here's John's reaction as he turns and looks and gazes upon the unveiled glory of God. In verse 17, John's reaction, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is the reaction of men before our holy God in his unveiled glory. We see it in Isaiah we saw it with Moses, we see it with Isaiah, we see it in all these situations where people just fall down before God. And then what do we see? Jesus' reaction here to those who fall down before him. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first 
and I am the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades, of death and hell. Jesus, in all his glory, standing there as John falls before him in just pure terror as though dead, Jesus raises him and says, fear not. I'm the one who holds death and hell in my hands, and I've got you. You know, as you look forward in Revelation, you skip to Revelation 21, it gives us kind of a final look, Revelation 21 and 22, just two final examples of the glory of Christ. In Revelation 21, 22 through 27, it says of the new Jerusalem, that's going to be there when the new heavens and the new earth are created. So this is all gone, and the new heavens, the new earth created, and the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. And it's being described in Revelation 21, verse 22. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be night neither. Uh, there will be no night there. They will bring into, uh, into it their glory and their honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but those who are written, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so the glory of God was the only light source for the city. They didn't need a power system because the radiance of the glory of God lit the universe. It's pretty amazing. And Jesus Christ is the lamp. He is the light of the world and he's the light of the next world. Literally. And Jesus prayed, Father, here in John 17, Father, I desire also whom you have given me that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Church, the centerpiece of eternity is not a place. It's the person, the person of Jesus Christ. We are going to see God. We are going to see him. Our eyes will see him. We will be gathered in his presence, and we will bask in the radiance of his eternal glory and never tire of it. We were made for it. And on that day, we will see him in all of his goodness. The glory that the Son has was given to him because it says there that the, it was because of the Father's love for the Son before the foundation of the world. Keep that in mind for a second as we close reading verse 25 and on, 25 and 26 here. Jesus continues after praying that we would be in his presence and see his glory that was manifested because of the love that the Father had for him. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that, have sent, that, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus says, the world doesn't know you, Father, 
doesn't know your glory, doesn't know your love, doesn't know anything about this. But here's the thing, that Jesus has made him known. Jesus has revealed the Father when we see the Son, we see the Father. John 1.8, no one has ever seen God. Keep reading. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Who's this other God? The Son of God, Jesus Christ. The Son of God has made the Father known. And the reason that Jesus came and died and rose again was so that the end of verse 26 might be accomplished. That the love with which you have loved me, Jesus said, may be in them, it may be in you, may be in me, and I in them. Jesus came so that the love that the Father and the Son shared from all eternity would be in you. That you would experience the pure love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what happens when we're born again. That's what happens. Christ is calling us out of the darkness into the light, into the glorious relationship of love through the Son. It's through faith that we enter into this relationship, not by all the good works that we think we can put before a holy God. No, we are like Isaiah, we're like John, we fall before him utterly in, in realization that we are in our own merit, in our own goodness before a holy God. We, we are people of unclean lips. There's no way we can match up even on our best day. But you see, Jesus, he did it on our behalf. He is the righteousness of God. He is the goodness of God. And he paid the price for us not only to redeem us from our darkness, but he cleanses us and lifts us up and draws us into this relationship. And the thing that keeps us from that relationship with God is our own pride and hardness of heart. That we're unwilling to surrender. We're unwilling to call it like, like it is in our own lives, in our own hearts. That we're rebellious. That we're unclean. But see, blessed are those who poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we come before God humbly and say, Lord, it is as you say, forgive me. I believe that your son died and rose again for me. I need your life. When that happens, the Holy Spirit is at work and he is regenerating you as you believe and you're born again. You become a son, a daughter, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You have entered into the blessing of being in an eternal relationship with God. And now you will see God in all of his glory. What an amazing promise we have. Look at the, how the Lord's prayed for us. Study over this and realize it's for you. John 17. 18 is... Betrayal and headed towards the cross, but 17 is Jesus' heart poured out for us while we're here and also what's to come. But until either he comes for us, church, um, or we go to him, right? One or the other, let's, let's continue to...
humbly obey and love our God. Let's seek to love one another. Let's seek to continue to seek the Lord in unity. Not a false unity, but unity in the truth. Let's not let anything get in between us. Let's forgive one another, love one another, be humble, and allow the world to see this beautiful testimony of the light and the glory of God within us as Jesus is alive in us. And so, one day, church, we are going to be together in his presence. And until then, may we continue to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to come with you before my brothers and sisters and, and just praise you. Praise you in the beauty of your holiness. Seated above all dominion, all power, all principalities, all everything, you're seated there in your throne of the universe and you're radiating your glory. And we are so thankful that you sent your son in veiled glory who manifested and testified of your glory as he healed and preached and bled and died and rose again, that we would be called into that beautiful relationship. And here we are enjoying all the benefits of what Christ has done for us. And so we just worship you. We praise you and thank you for calling us to yourself. And we, in our heart goes out, Lord, to those who don't know you. And we ask that their hearts would be softened and broken and drawn to you this day, that they would know the gospel, they would know your son, they would come to receive you and to experience the true love of God in Jesus Christ. As they lose their life, they will find it. And so, Lord, as your church scattered about this morning, not united in a building, but united in, a, in spirit, Lord, we just want to say praise you praise you, praise you. We worship you. You have all the glory and honor this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Father. Amen.